I think higher ed's learned a lot of lessons in these last few months. I think people gave higher ed a lot of grace back in the spring when colleges had to quickly move to an online pivot, right? They got it. They had to do it quickly. Some schools did it well already. Some did. We, we got through it. But to most colleges now, where they're online in the fall and likely will potentially be online in the spring, there's expectations from stakeholders that we have to do it better. I think this hybrid model, Chris, will be where we live. Honestly, it's not just higher ed. I think K through 12 schools now having lived through this will see that they've gotta be ready for something like this again. It will happen again. Welcome to Talk West, where every episode we'll be diving into the latest topics and trends in advertising, marketing, design, and more. I'm your host, Chris Bunn, joined as always by Mike Manganillo. In this episode, we continue our series on the business effects of COVID-19 by going back to school. We sat down with Jenny Hammond, the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer for the NC State Pool College of Management. We discussed the rapid adjustments universities had to implement at the end of the school year, preparing for the new school year, and what it means for the future of online learning. All right, we are now joined by Jenny Hammond, the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at North Carolina State. Jenny, uh, thank you for joining us this week. Hi, good to see you guys, virtually, of course. Yeah, of course, yeah. And actually, I want to start with a hard-hitting question before we go into usual topics we have with our guests. How was it making the leap from working at uh, UNC Chapel Hill to NC State? I mean, <laughs> I think that's a lot of listeners need to understand how that happened. Yeah, right. I mean, I think if you're in, well, first of all, if you're not from North Carolina, you have to pick an allegiance pretty quickly. I mean, you, you, you pick one of the big three, right? So mm-hmm. for me personally, I grew up as a Carolina fan. So going to, and I didn't attend Carolina. So to be able to go there and work there um, was a pretty cool experience. I worked there for five years in Keenan Flagler Business School. And then I made the transition. So now I'm over at NC State in the Pool College of Management. So both business schools. And they are very different. I think I'll talk to peers that don't live in North Carolina and, and they're like, how is that working in the triangle with Duke, with Fuqua, UNC Keenan Flagler, NC State with Pool College. It is different. I will say this, you know, working at UNC, what a training ground that provided me. Um, being in a top 25 business school environment, a lot of things are just done exceptionally well. Um, and it's just a very different level of engagement all the way around. What was exciting to make the pivot to NC State, most people don't know the College of Management at NC State is only 22 years old, 20-ish Um, So it's young, very young. And so I think that's one of the exciting parts of my role is that, you know, you're not in an environment where things have been done this way for 100 years. There's a lot of opportunity to try something new and different. And at NC State, you know, the, the tagline for the university is think and do. And I think the College of Management does a really good job of that. I know people want to have like some scandalous difference in my experience, but both have been so rewarding. I will say this. My husband graduated from NC State. So when I told him, you know, I accepted the job, it was like, I don't know, I became wife of the century because <laughs> it was just, you know, so I've got a little extra skin in the game there, but it is fun. And, and really, when you get into an industry in a very niche market like business, um, you end up interacting with a lot of the same people. So I've had people that I've worked with at, 
at Chapel Hill that have moved to state, state to Chapel Hill, Fuqua at Duke. And so we all kind of are in that same sphere of higher ed business content and, and ideation. So, but it's a neat, it's a neat place to be. I'm excited about, you know, being there and there's a lot of opportunity. But, you know, just between us, I still pull for Carolina for basketball. So. <laughs> well, Chris is a dookie, so. Ah. Uh, it's a, okay. one of my curses. I won't hold it against you. I won't hold it against <laughs> you. No, you know, it's actually funny you bring that up, Mango, because I remember a few years ago, Keenan Flagler was running this advertising campaign. It was like the online MBA that you probably can't get into. The only one you cannot get into. Let me just tell you how many hours of our day that that took away. Oh, really? It was not a, oh, it was the, it still is to this day, probably the highest performing marketing piece that they've done, but it really? did not come with it. Oh yeah. Think about it. You're reading it. You see it as a click up, you know, pop up on your screen. You're like, what is this? The one program I can't get into. Come on. Yeah. I'm major, but it, de- it definitely had some substantial pushback from alumni. Um, and it had some, you know, some not so positive things, but it performed really well. But you have to remember too, when that came out, that was right at the beginning, truly the beginning of a lot of this online transition and online MBA just sounded not legit. And so I think for Carolina people, you know, here you are a top 25 business school, you're going to go into this market of online education. Is your degree still going to be legitimate? But yeah, to this day, that is probably the most infamous uh oh, man. that's ever occurred there that was that was a, i mean was a the funny thing about that was like seeing it on duke websites it, like you'd go to like you know like a message board or something and then at the top of it was this carolina banner like you can't get into the keenan flagler school and it was just it was a subject of like so many jokes and you know I, it was like the talk of the town when we first started seeing that stuff especially yeah. like on social media where it was easy to like grab a screenshot of like that ad on a duke website you know with that banner I mean, people were, they didn't respond well, but yeah, kind of clever if you think about it. Yeah. So were you involved with like the, the creation of that, that campaign? So I wasn't directly tied to that, but I start my first day on the job at UNC was the day that they literally clicked the switch on and did their online MBA program. Oh. And so, you know, I, I don't know how much you guys know, but you know, graduate programs in general are, are huge revenue streams for universities. That's, that's where money is made. And Keenan Flagler has partnered with a company called 2U, and they're the ones that provide the platform for that. But they, I mean, they're a behemoth. I mean, they just have a lot of manpower and bandwidth, and they just, they do very well in their marketing. Um, So they were really probably one of the first universities at that top 25 level that branched out and decided to do online, which, you know, was exciting to be a part of and hear and see a lot of that transition, but true to most things that are different. And, you know, you got to remember the environment that Keenan Flagler was in, you know, it's a well-established business school. You had people that weren't on board right away. So yeah, it was exciting. Well, what, what do you think you translated your experience there to what you brought into NC State? I was fortunate that I followed my predecessor. We worked together at UNC and then she came over to NC State and I followed her and she's, so very strategic. I think just being able to position NC State in a way that they had not really thought that they could do before. Um, it's tough. I mean, let's, let's look at it from a basketball analogy, right? I mean, 
you're in a market with Duke and UNC, where do you fall? And so that's hard. And I think for us, one of the things that I remember, gosh, not even from UNC, honestly, it was from my very first job um, right out of college. I can remember a, a direct supervisor telling me, look, you don't have to do everything. You can keep it simple and you can still make a pretty impactful mark. And that's kind of the way that we do things at NC State. We don't have to be everything to everyone um, and be everywhere. Um, we think about, you know, kind of who our target audience is and, and what we can own, kind of owning our own backyard in some spaces. And I think that's kind of the philosophy that we've carried so far. You know, and then if you think about too, from a top 25 perspective, there's rankings you want to be a part of, there's, there's circles that you want to be in to be noticed. And that just wasn't a part of the philosophy at NC State because it was just such a young program. So just kind of opening their eyes to that and um, seeing that that could be, you know, definitely a possibility. And, and really, NC State's done that well. I mean, they've, they've kind of entered into these markets, especially at the online arena, and has offered it, you know, at a more flexible and affordable price point that has put them on the map and rankings that they've never been a part of before. So it's a pretty exciting time. Yeah, I can think of you know, a lot of competition would come, especially in this market for people who especially are online now, you know, everybody has shifted home, everybody's looking for like, well, what can I do to kind of fill my time? And so I'd imagine like online MBAs are probably a bit more prevalent or what's rising, surging right now. Is that the right term? No, I mean, I think when you think about MBAs prior to online environment, the traditional MBA, somebody would leave a job and go do an MBA for two years and then they go back or they find a new job. We're dealing with a very different generation. Gen Zs don't want to stop working. Um, they want to make money, which is very different from millennials. Millennials, you know, money isn't a big deal to them, but Gen Zs, they lived through, you know, that 2008 recession, saw their parents lose jobs. They wanted, they want to keep working. And so this is resonant for us, but a lot of MBA programs are pivoting to offer much more flexible formats so people can keep working and achieve a degree. So whether it's a hybrid model where they come to campus or whether it's completely online, that's um, certainly an aspect that people are looking in their experience. But, I, you know, the saying goes, when the economy tanks, MBA programs surge because um, people go back and retool. But I think people now are just thinking about assessing what, what they need to do to kind of sharpen their tools and their toolkit. You know, we see people that come in and we'll do a, a certificate and they like the experience and they'll say, you know what, I want to do this. Like, I really want to do it. So I'm going to do a degree. Or some people come in and say, nope, I just want to do the certificate and I'll get what I need and I kind of hop out. So I think for programs... The lesson to be learned at this point is, you know, being agile, listening to essentially the consumer of what those needs are. What are the demands? What are what are the areas that, you know, industry is telling us that they need skill? You know, we're hearing a lot of analytics, 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 analytics. So we've, we've made that pivot. We just launched a business analytics initiative at NC State and the Pool College of Management, and we're reevaluating some of our graduate programs. So having another option is really going to be the way to, to move in. You don't want to mess it up. You want to try to make sure you're always getting it right to continue that flow. Well, yeah, adaptability is key for any kind of long-term growth for, you know, a company or a school, what have you. You know, I have a lot of friends and peers who have gotten their MBA, like while I've known them, and almost every single one of them did it, you know, part-time or online around their job, mm -hmm. because they just simply, they didn't have the luxury of saying, like, I'm going to take two years and go study. Like, I've got a family, I've got, I've got to keep stuff coming in, I've got bills. And so, 
that flexibility has been an, a massive selling point for, for people in my generation. Yeah. I think the other part too, that's important to remember is, you know, especially with a population that's working and going to school and managing life, they want to apply what they're learning immediately. It's not one of those things hypothetically. They're like, oh, when I'm done with this degree in two years, I'll, I'll put that to use. I mean, what we try to teach, and I would say most MBA programs are like this now, they're, they're teaching concepts that literally you can turn around the next morning and present it in your team meeting. I mean, they, they want to see that ROI immediately, which is important. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I think the dynamic of MBA will continue to evolve, but there's always going to be a need for, for the degree, I believe. Just what it looks like might be changing. How have you had to shift, you know, what you guys have been doing from a strategic standpoint, a marketing standpoint, as we're going through this pandemic? What are some, you know, strategies you implemented or changes that you made other than the assumption of probably trying to push more people online that you kind of been working on as we go through this? Yeah, I think what's interesting, a, a trend in, well, specific to MBA, but I think in, in higher ed and in, in general, is that authenticity, transparency, and providing content from a marketing standpoint that people can relate to. You know, we have always found on the, and on the admissions side of recruiting, at least from, I can say from an MBA perspective, is that students want to see someone like them. Someone like them that's done it has successfully finished the program. Like if I'm a mom and I have a kid and I'm working, are there other moms have kids and are working? Is it doable? I think kind of, you know, thinking about it from that perspective. I also think, you know, we at NC State for, for our graduate programs, we invest a lot of our marketing dollars in a digital spend. So paid search, paid display, paid social. The beauty of that is that you can pivot and change at any point, right? So where I might, you know, Walk West, fortunately, is our, our agency of record, and they're great at this. It's a little pitch for Walk West. You know, a year ago, I might have gotten my monthly report and been like, yeah, everything's great. I'm just going to kind of let it go, and we'll move to the next one. We don't do that now. I mean, we really look at every monthly report and we kind of look to see, are we hitting the benchmarks we need to hit? Are we, you know, making sure that we're talking to the, to the audiences that we need to be talking to? And if we don't, we pivot, we move, we shift. Um, I think, you know, not being aware of kind of how your performance is, is not the smart use of dollars. And I think, you know, we've been much more mindful of that. I think the other thing, you know, too, Mike, post COVID is that we, nobody knows what budgets are going to look like in the next several months. So we want to make sure that we're being as efficient as we can and being smart and, and really being strategic about, you know, how we spend those dollars moving forward. But, you know, there's, we've certainly done things with some of our programs where we've said, you know what, this just doesn't make sense anymore. Let's, we don't need to do it. And, and not just because of COVID, it's just, and I think that's, that's for me, the biggest takeaway probably in life since COVID, but there are a lot of things that we did that weren't necessarily bad. It's just, we don't need to do them anymore. And we've done, yeah. okay. you know, we've been living like this now for six months and we're doing all right. Things are still performing well. So what's the need of continuing to do it like that? So on the flip side, I will say that, you know, there's some traditional marketing that's kind of resurfaced through this whole thing, right? We aren't doing this, but I have a lot of colleagues that have brought back print mailers and uh, postcards. I mean, I thought that died like 10 years ago. <laughs> They're back. They're back. <laughs> yeah. And um, okay, we're, we're going <laughs> to do that. So 
but you know, radio things that we we just didn't invest in a lot in the last couple of years. Campaigns on Spotify, things like that. What what are people doing? Where are they at? And trying to meet people where they're at and thinking about that. So, I think that will continue to evolve. The last piece I will say, which we cannot keep up with. I mean, I I tell my dean all the time. He could give me twenty people, and I still wouldn't be able to pump out enough content. But video. People want more video. Um, we, we have a digital producer who is great. We have access to a lot of wonderful freelancers. We have an agency, but we still cannot produce enough video. That's what people want. I mean, think about the world that we live in. We're on, I'm embarrassed to say this, but some of us check TikTok out every once in a while. And, um, <laughs> you know, Instagram and Facebook, think about your own personal habits of what you watch. And that's where people are most likely to engage. Now there isn't a request that comes through from my team that typically does not include some sort of video component. So figure out striking a balance of what we can do, but also does it make sense? And, you know, the funny thing is there's this been this kind of resurgence of YouTube. So YouTube's always been there. I also have a nine year, almost a nine year old son and we're, you know, big dude, perfect fans are like the biggest. Oh my Lord. It's all you want. Right? <laughs> I hear them woo or scream anymore. I'm going to like lose it. I know. I know. But, and I miss my calling. I should have just done stupid tricks. And I I but YouTube, that's another area that we kind of just did because we thought we should do it, but didn't really invest in it. And in the last six to eight months, we've, you know, completely scrubbed our YouTube channel, reorganized it and used it as kind of this destination instead of this, this housing component of, of where our content lives. So rethinking kind of those strategies for different channels as well has kind of morphed. Yeah. And I think a lot of that probably has to do with a lot more people having quote unquote free time to consume media in different places. So we were just talking prior. I mean, like podcasts, unfortunately are taking a hit because you don't have the commute time that you used to. So I was like, I don't listen to podcasts as much as I used to just because consuming other media or dealing with kids where I think some of these more traditional medias might are coming, coming bigger, like direct mails and, and, and flyers. Cause you're home. I'm home now to pick them up. You know, where traditionally it's like, one of you kind of look at it now, it's like, I look forward to the mail just to go outside. We got the mail that's here. I got it. I have to go get yeah. it. You know? And now it's like, I don't know, unfortunately, because all, all the politics going on, like half of them are all political mailers, but it's always like, if one stands out to me, it's like, oh, cool. I'll check this out. Yeah. And then more people, you know, searching YouTube for different content, not wanting to be bogged down with the real news and looking for ways to kind of just, you know, zone out. I think a lot yeah. of, especially on social media, on TikTok, yeah. looking for other areas of entertainment. And that's going to be a trend that you're going to continue to see. Yeah. Media consumption, I think, is dictated by our way of life, right? Like, you know, I, there's a classic uh, photo I've seen circulating of, you know, basically like 2020, where everybody's on the subway, everybody's looking at their phone, no one's got their head up, they're not engaging with people to the left or right of them. But then it's juxtaposed with a picture from like 1940, where the same thing is happening. It's just that every person on the subway is reading a newspaper. And so the attitude didn't change. It was the medium that changed. And so if, you know, print advertising died out because we changed from reading the newspapers on the subway to reading our phone, okay, well, how we leverage that media now changes. So like you bring up, you know, Instagram or TikTok, how many people, and granted it's, it's lower now because they're not commuting as much, but 
might be just scrolling Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or whatever while they're just like waiting for their for their cab or they're waiting to like go somewhere or they're just at home like killing some time or something. Mm-hmm. That opportunity to engage with media uh, or companies or, or you know businesses or schools, what have you, in different ways opens you up to an entire new realm that you may not have explored. And so, you know, maybe it's a little odd to say like, yeah, check out, you know, the Jenkins MBA, you know, TikTok channel. But at the same time, like there are ways to leverage that with like tips and, and you know, uh, training and interviews and things like that, that can still be beneficial to people, even in the spare five minutes they have waiting for their Uber. Right. And it's interesting you mentioned, you know, specifically about social media too, Chris, is that I have found in my time in marketing, especially if you're working with a, this is not NC State related, but, you know, oftentimes you run into groups who are trying to engage in social media and they just assume immediately they've got to be everywhere. They got to be on all platforms. Right. And so kind of trying to figure out where it makes the most sense for you to live. And, you know, we, we do that too. I mean, we're not everywhere. It doesn't make sense for us to be everywhere. Where, where does our audience live? Then let's do those two or three platforms and do them well. And, and try to stay focused on that. But I think it's funny. I mean, I, you know, as a mom in her 40s and a working mom, I, I've started to gravitate towards content that I feel like, oh, somebody else is feeling like this. You know, it's that kind of real time empathy type of content. And what's funny is we've been doing that forever in MBA. So it's kind of just trickled down into these, these other entities. But, you know, I, I would say, you know, looking forward, um, I always joke about this with my team. I'm fortunate that my team is multi-generational. So with the exception, last year at one point, I had a, a boomer, we had Gen X, we had millennials and Gen Z. Try managing that. Like, right. holy cow. But they were, they are and they were a great team. So I was very fortunate. But the pace at which marketing is moving is so stinking fast. I feel ancient. I feel so ancient. So I'm, I encourage people and marketing and, you know, I talk a lot of this with my peers is that we have to constantly be retooling ourselves. And, you know, I don't, going back to, I don't need to know everything about everything. I tell people I fake it all the time. I'm, you know, I'm just make, faking it till I make it really <laughs> literally in this job. I told my dean that when I took the job, <laughs> but you, you surround yourself with people who are great and that's what makes, makes the whole experience great. But for me as a marketer individually, I find myself um, constantly going, okay, what, what tool do I need to make sure that I'm at least knowledgeable of, you know, mm-hmm. HubSpot is a great example of this. This is a tool that it's a, you know, CRM inbound marketing. I've been on HubSpot for years. I've, I feel pretty savvy in it, but there's always new things that come up. And so um, just trying to retool myself to be able to at least speak knowledgeably with people. But that's my biggest fear about marketing is that it's going to get, it's going to continue to move so fast. I won't be able to keep up. Yeah. Um, I think that's where the, the technology is slowly taking over. The analytics is slowly taking over and just kind of keeping up to date with it to your point. Yeah. Cause it's becoming more, robotic versus kind of emotionally driven by people in some essence. So it's like for me, from a, when I used to just do pure media planning, I always like to say this, you need to have a balanced approach of anything you do, right? Yes. The programmatic, the digital ads, they're great, but they only do one thing for you. You need to be able to have more of this emotional driven video premium spots, because if you don't have a balanced point, you're going one, one way or the other so strong, 
you're not gonna be able to reach the right audience and reach time. So it's like all about balance in my mind. And it should be about that as, as you kind of move forward in marketing as well. Yeah, I think, yeah, certainly relying on analytics to be your end all be all on how you make your decisions seems pretty scary to me. You know, in the world of lead gen, which is essentially what we live and die by and yeah. a lot of our graduate programs, I often tell my peers, we can, we can throw thousands of dollars into marketing, but if you don't have somebody on the back end that's going to nurture those leads and help walk people through the process, it kind of defeats the whole entire spend. So I always, I don't laugh anymore because that's probably mean to say, but I do get a kick out of when people say, oh yeah, we put $30,000 in that campaign. It was nothing. It did nothing for us. I'm like, well, but what, what did you do to support it? You know, what was the other half of that? It's so much more than that. I mean, I love analytics like anybody. I can geek out and get down into a rabbit hole and, and love it. But at the end of the day, you're right, Mike, there's just so many pieces that go into kind of that whole process. And it is scary to think that a lot of what's happening in the marketing world is being kind of centered around this analytics focused because it's not, again, to use a word, it's not sustainable. Yep. I don't think it's a reality of, of what really does make the decision for people to buy a product or, or make a change. So yeah, that, that scares me too, you know, and I'm not getting any younger people. So uh, <laughs> I can only consume so much so fast, uh, but yeah, crazy. So uh, we've only got a few minutes left. I would love to get your perspective on, uh, you know, the future of this, you know, where do we go post COVID? You know, are, is the future exclusively online MBAs? Do you think there might be like a backlash towards, you know, people wanting to be back in person a bit more? I'm curious, like where you think this might end up? I think, you know what, to even stretch it out further than just a graduate program or MBA, I think, I think higher ed I hope they would, but I do think, I think Harrods learned a lot of lessons in these last few months for a lot of things. I've had this conversation with just friends is that, uh, you know, I think people gave higher ed a lot of grace back in the spring when people, when colleges had to quickly move to an online pivot, right? right. They got it. They had to do it quickly. Some schools did it well already. Some did, we, we got through it, but to most colleges now where they're online in the fall and likely will potentially be online in the spring, there's expectations from stakeholders that we have to do it better. And I think, I think this hybrid model, Chris, will be where we live moving forward. I do think that'll be kind of a, the new reality of any delivery. And then, honestly, it's not just higher ed. I think K through 12 schools now having lived through this will see that they've got to be ready for something like this again. It will happen again. Um, and so being able to adjust to that, I think, for us as a college, I think some of the really silver linings that's happened for us personally, we've learned to work more of a team. It was unbelievable to see how those silos kind of fell apart when we really needed to pull together to get something done and, and, and get it done. And we've continued to work that way. And it's been great. The other thing I think people want and crave and need is transparency. I think people can read right through something that doesn't smell right, doesn't look right. And our dean does this really well. And I'm appreciative to work for someone like this. He'll often present to the college. He'll say, look, I don't know the answer to that, but I am going to find out. And when I do have the answer, I'll let you know. And I think people appreciate that. And I think that's where we are now. I mean, I think we've all watched enough press briefings and 
CDC reports that people just want to know the truth, even if it's not good and it's not something we want to hear, just tell us the truth. And I think that expectation will certainly be carried over in a lot of levels, but it's going to, it already has, but it will continue to transpire in marketing. I think people will demand that. You know, the last thing I'll say is that in the world that we live in today with social media as, as active as it is in our decision-making from everything to buy a pair of socks on an Instagram ad to, you know, maybe where you send your kids to school, people have an opinion. And so it's not that you can't, you're always going to probably make a mistake, but I think to remember that there's eyes always watching. And so I think as industry, I think as my industry, but also just, you know, corporate industry, people have ideas and they have opinions. And so I think it's important to be cognizant of that, but also to be responsive and to listen and, and be humble. I mean, I, I, I think, gosh, if, if there's anything that we've learned through all of this, it's that nobody knows the answer to anything of what's happening. We're all just doing the best that we can and hoping we can get through it. And I think at the end of the day, that's what people want to hear. And so that's kind of what, I, I mean, that's, that's the road that we're on. But I, I think as a marketer, that's certainly something that we'll probably continue to do moving forward too. That's excellent. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And again, I won't hold it against you that you're a dookie. <laughs> you know, everyone always finds a way to do just that though. <laughs> but you know what, Chris? Like anybody from Duke. Have you not learned that yet? I know. But you know what Chris yeah. can say? He can come right back and say, okay, but who's won the national championships? You know, that's what we're saying. So yeah, you have the last word in that one. I, yeah. I had to say it without saying it. You know what I mean? Right. I hear you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> It was a pleasure, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and please rate and review us. Plus, you can follow WalkQuest on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We'll see you next time on the Talk West Podcast.